But I want to invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 as we look at God's Word together. There are moments in the preacher's life where you feel like, in a sense, you're just preaching to the choir. Right? I've thought about that. I think that's because the choir is generally supposed to agree with the preacher, right? Exactly. There are days when you think that that may be what you're doing. And perhaps as we're going through this study and we're talking about authoritative truth and we're talking about the Bible and its sufficiency for our lives, perhaps that would appear to be the case for us as a church because most of us in this place probably, probably would say, we absolutely agree with you in what you're saying. We absolutely agree that the Bible is the Word of God and it's the authority for our lives. It, you know, yesterday it was reinforced for me. I think there was an article in the Times there in Shreveport that said that the city of Shreveport, the city of Shreveport was the number five most biblically-minded city in all of the United States. Did you see that article yesterday? Number five. Number five. I was kind of surprised. Because do you know folks from Shreveport? <laughs> Just kidding. I know some of you from there. But number five, I'm thinking to myself, if Shreveport is ranked number five and then you were to move just a little bit to the east and look at Ruston, how many areas, how many families, how many people, how many churches would say in their lives that the Bible is important to them and that the Bible is the Word of God? You would think it would be a lot, a lot of our percentage of our population. So maybe we're just supposed to just move on through this and not worry about what we believe about the Bible because it seems like all of us already know what we believe. Well, I would say to you, that's not exactly the case. I would say to you that, yes, I am proud I live in an area that overall respects the Scripture and honors the Scripture. But we still know that there are people, there are detractors that live among us, detractors who would dismiss the Scripture. And there are folks in our churches that are beginning to, I think, waffle on a biblical doctrine. Even if you read that article yesterday, as you read through it, I hope at least you were surprised by some of the comments you heard from some of those stated religious leaders there in Shreveport. I, I wrote one down. I wanted to share this one with you. One of the religious leaders, as he reflected on this finding there in Shreveport, he spoke about how the Bible was not necessarily to be taken literally, but it was just kind of like a rule that we were to follow, some type of system that we were to follow. And then he said this exactly. He said, I'm not a Bible-believing Christian in the sense that I think it's the only guide in our church, and I'm not going to call the church's name, but it's, he said, in our church, we have three books, the Bible, the prayer book, and the hymnal. And they round out what we believe. Now think of that just a moment. This religious leader says that we have three books to guide us. The Bible, the prayer book, and the hymnal. Now listen, I love to sing and worship. I love to be able to pick up a hymnal or see the words on the screen and sing. I love to be able to do that. But the hymnal does not have the same force as the Scripture. It is not 
it has not been inspired by God like the scripture has. Now, I believe that there are people that were writing and they have given us good music. But there is an obvious difference between the scripture and the hymnal. The scripture is God's word to us. Every word. And that is what we believe and what we teach. But do you see, even religious leaders themselves are departing from the scripture and trying to find truth in so many different ways. As a matter of fact, many would say that there is no absolute truth. You just make up your truth as you go. Religious leaders, those that are attending our churches, are continuing to adopt that type of philosophy, a philosophy that I think is deadly, a philosophy that I think is destructive to us all. So I want you to see again, Psalm 119, we were there last week. We're going to park there for a few more weeks as we look at God's Word and see what the testimony of the psalmist is. In Psalm 119, verse 17, through verse 24, you begin to see, or you still see, how the psalmist reflects upon God's Word and that there is truth that he is looking for. Look in verse 17. He says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You, re you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. This, this section of verses just continues the testimony of the psalmist that we saw last week. And you'll see that the psalmist is just longing for God's word and longing for God's truth. And he understands that there, that there is a truth, that there is an absolute truth that he is seeking from God. He describes it again in these different ways. He speaks about your word, your law, your commandments. He continues to speak about your judgments, or as you see in verse 22, your testimonies. Notice again all of those words, building upon the words that we talked about last week, that all of these words speak to the psalmist understanding that there is some truth. There is a truth that is out there, and he wants to know it. He wants to understand it. There is absolute truth. I think our culture still needs to hear that today. I think we still need to hear that today. And we still need to bear that type of testimony. We must believe that there is an absolute truth. It's not just what we determine it to be, but rather it is God and His command and His Word and his testimony. It is from him, originating from him, and it is absolute authority for us. Absolute truth that God has presented. I think not only the words speak about how the psalmist looks for absolute truth, but I think even in this literary form that we find here in Psalm 119, it speaks that there is absolute truth. Now, Psalm 119 has been classified as like a wisdom psalm. Uh, speaking about us having wisdom and walking in the right way. In the Old Testament, you would find this wisdom literature, and it would speak about two different choices. There was the choice to walk right. There was the choice to walk wrong. 
We find it throughout the Old Testament, but there are some of the Psalms, like Psalm 119, that really draws the contrast for us. Another Psalm that's very similar to this is Psalm 1. Some of you remember that one, right? Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Notice the contrast. The godly and the ungodly. The choice of right and the choice of wrong. In Psalm 1 and Psalm 119, the psalmist speaks that there is a clear right and a clear wrong. There is an absolute truth that is to be known, and it is one for us to long for, to look for, and to embrace within our lives. Now, let me stop. After saying that the psalmist speaks about absolute truth, after saying that the psalmist is longing for that truth in his life, it seems that we ought to stop and recognize for a moment how our culture would re reject that type of witness. Most of the culture that we're living in today would reject the psalmist's words. As a matter of fact, the, the culture that we're living in today would say the words of the psalmist are archaic, they're out of touch with contemporary thinking, there is no absolute truth. We have something called relativist or relativism that is encroaching upon our churches and upon our culture. The idea is that you just make up your own truth as you go. It's not the truth that the psalmist is looking for. It's just the truth that you determine in your own life. It is your personal subjective judgment that determines what is right and wrong, truth or untruth. In so many ways... It seems like we're adopting the culture of the judges. Do you remember the culture of the judges? The Bible says that they did what was right in their own eyes. Doesn't it seem like we're living in a generation that is doing what is right in its own eyes? Instead of saying that there is absolute truth, it's determining what we think is right. That flies in the face of the psalmist's testimony. The psalmist's testimony says there is truth. I'm longing for it. I'm looking for it. It's God's word. But today in our culture, it is, it is the idea that there is no absolute truth, only what we make of it. And again, I know it seems like I'm preaching to the choir because all of us believe in absolute truth, right? Let me tell you how I see it encroaching upon the church let me tell you where it's not just in the pulpits of certain churches across the united states but i think it's even creeping into the pews of our churches let me give you at least three areas three phrases that i hear that make me that begin to make me think that relativism is is creeping into our churches one one would be you got to be open-minded, Brother Reggie. You got to be open-minded. You ever hear people say that? Now, look, some of us probably ought to be a little more open-minded. Right? 
We, we should be willing to try a few things and do a few things. Maybe we should be a little more open-minded. But we should always be rooted in God's word. We should always be people who think according to the truth. And as Dr. James Travis used to say, we shouldn't be so open-minded that our brains fall out, right? (laughs) It's fine to be open-minded, but today the idea is, oh, you've got to be more open and you've got to see this is a different day. It's not the day of the scripture. It's not the day of the psalmist. You've got to be more open to things today. My belief is that morality does not change. What has always been right with God is still right with God. What has always been wrong with God is still wrong with God. We should anchor our minds in the scripture and we should not give up our thinking. We should not just be so open-minded that we give up our thinking according to the scripture. I wrote this week in the tidings about this guy. He was a self-proclaimed atheist who began to talk about all the contradictions in Scripture. I noticed, noted some of those in the Tidings article. You read it, right? Tell me you read my article. Makes me feel better. Speak words of affirmation to me this morning. Yes, you do. You read it, but here he was thinking that in two different Scriptures, one says the shepherds come to see Jesus, and the other says that the wise men come to see Jesus. And he noted that as as a contradiction now I, I i hate to be rude to him but i want to ask do you even think did it even occur to you that there could be the possibility but that both the shepherds came and the wise men but notice that in an attempt to somehow discredit the scripture and to move from truth that they had given up all semblance of thinking here we see the psalmist that is longing for the truth and is declaring absolute truth. I hear sometimes you ought to be more open-minded. Another thing that I hear sometimes is don't you care. You need to have more compassion for people. And look, God has called us to be compassionate. God has called us to demonstrate our love. But notice what's occurring today in our life, in our, in our culture. What's occurring today is that if you do not accept a certain type of lifestyle, then it means you don't care about somebody. It means you don't love someone. It means that you're not showing compassion. Compassion today is you must accept everything that is going on in our culture and understand that that for them is truth. And to affirm, not, not, just, not just come alongside and demonstrate compassion, but affirm that lifestyle. And we're hearing this in our churches some. We must affirm. We must show more compassion. My friends, truth in love benefits individuals much more than our just looking the other way and saying in a very empty way, we love you. Truth in love. We declare the truth. We declare it compassionately with the love of Christ. And then probably one of those things that, tell, that will remind me 
that our culture and our churches are slipping into some type of relativism is this idea, don't judge. You can't judge somebody. Judge not that you be not judged. Do you know that that scripture is quoted more in our culture today than John 3.16 is? I think that may be the one verse of the Bible that most people know. Judge not that you be not judged. That is in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. They never quote to you Matthew chapter 7 verse 6, which is only five verses later. You probably can't even recall what it says, but listen. This is what Matthew says as, as he records Jesus' words. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. It's interesting that, six, that in verse 6 he speaks about discernment. After in verse 1, speaking about not condemning people. Certainly, he means that we do not condemn individuals. Only God has the authority to do that. But he does expect us to demonstrate discernment in our lifestyles. He does call upon us to speak about the truth in who we are. The relativist says you must accept what people say you must accept their lifestyles and their truth but the psalmist says there is absolute truth i am longing for i am speaking of commandments i'm speaking of a way that is right and that is wrong notice again in the psalm 119 notice in verse 21 and 22 it says rebuke the proud the cursed who stray from your commandments remove from me reproach and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. Later on in verse 118 of this Psalm 119, he says, You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Notice in both of these texts in Psalm 119, he expects that there are some who are not doing according to to the truth, who are living according to their own truth. God is going to deal with them, he says. Notice there's a definite sense of right and wrong the psalmist speaks about. May I say to you that relativism is illogical, inconsistent, and self-defeating. Listen to what I mean by that. It is illogical. I love to kind of hear people come up and say something like this there is no absolute truth there is no absolute truth you know what I want to always say are you absolutely sure <laughs> that there is no absolute truth how illogical is that you just made such a statement a defining statement that there is no truth. And yet you have said there, it is illogical. It is inconsistent. Begin to talk to someone that, that says that there is no absolute truth and they, there's thus no standard of morality. And begin to talk to somebody about that and then ask them something like this. You believe there was no moral difference between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa? 
And they will begin, oh, ho, 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 ho. I didn't say that. But that's what it seems like you're saying. At least you're inconsistent. Because notice, all people seem to make some type of moral judgments. It's just which type of standard of morality that they will choose. It is self-defeating. It is self-defeating. In the end, it defeats its own argument. It defeats its own lifestyle. Again, people choose their own standard. It may be like the book of Judges and they do what's right in their own eyes, but they've determined what's right. Several months ago, I was on a uh, LPB town hall discussion where we were speaking about different things that were going on in the culture, but particularly was talking about the definition of marriage or the redefinition of marriage. And I was in that Baton Rouge area, so somehow I got an invitation. I think I slipped in under the radar somehow. We were able to, you know, listen to the arguments that were made, and we were able to to talk some. And uh, afterwards is when the real debate took place. Afterwards, I was able to uh, begin to talk with this guy that that was in favor of redefining marriage. He was a guy from Monroe, actually, uh, a guy you've probably seen on TV before. And he and I were debating, I think compassionately, I think respectfully, but we were debating there. And I began to say to him, if you redefine marriage in the way that you want to, what stops it from marriage just becoming an, an open book for anybody, anything, anything to go? How about polygamy? Oh, no, we wouldn't do that. And I said, why would we not open it up to polygamy? He said, because we just wouldn't. That's not, not, what, that's not right. And I said, again, according to you, it is not right. Because there is always a standard. Never miss that. There is always a standard. It's just whose standard are we, are we using? And here the psalmist used God's standard. Used God's standard. Paul Copen, I wrote this down because I love to see what he said. Paul Copen said that absolute truth is objective truth. He identified it as the reality that moral principles are true invariably and universally, that they always have and always will normatively apply to all rational beings. He said no matter individual, cultural preferences, opinions, he declared, now listen, truth is true even if no one knows it. Truth is true even if no one admits it. Truth is true even if no one agrees what it is. Truth is true even if no one follows it. Truth is true even if no one but God grasps it fully. Truth is true. There is absolute truth. And perhaps that's where we should have started last week as we talked about the authoritative truth for our lives as we are working through this series. Maybe that's where we should have started last week because we must begin with the premise of the, of the psalmist and understand there is truth and it is found in his word. And when we understand that there is absolute truth, 
we also understand that it claims authority over our lives. If it is absolute truth, then it holds authority over who we are. It is the authoritative truth for our lives. The psalmist, he approached absolute truth with that sense of humility, understanding that there was an authority. Psalm 119, verse 17 again. Deal bountifully with your servant. With your servant. I mean, even in that passage, throughout this whole psalm, the psalmist comes to God and says, I am your servant. You have authority over me, and your truth has authority over me. And that's the reason I want to know your commands. That's the reason I want to know your word, because you have absolute authority over me. There are some who would hear a message like this, and they would say, Reggie, that that sounds arrogant or almost prideful to say that there's an absolute truth. And that you know it. Some of you might would say that. Some of you who are watching on television later on, you may say something like that. That sounds so arrogant or prideful to say that there is absolute truth. I want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself this. Isn't it more arrogant and more prideful to say that you determine truth? To decide that you will not bow to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Isn't it more arrogant and prideful to say that you will not accept the truth of Scripture than it is for us to say there is a God and there is a truth? You see, later on in verse 21, he says, You you rebuke the proud. I think it's much more prideful for us to think we can construct our own truth and simply disobey God's will, work, and word in our lives. I think that's much more prideful and much more arrogant to stand before the holy God and say we will do what we want to do. The psalmist says, They demonstrate their pride when they stray from God's commandments. The scripture, God's word, has complete authority over us. God's word. John 17, Jesus speaking about his disciples. He said said about them... He said, sanctify them by your truth, by your word. And he says, your word is truth. That construction there doesn't mean that your word is just true. We talked about that last week. We believe the word is true. God's word is. But he actually said, your word is truth. Truth for our lives. If God has spoken and there is absolute truth, and we hear his truth through his word, then we must come and submit ourselves to his word and to his will. This is the truth for our lives and has the authority over us. You know, 
a few years ago, um, I got caught up in, in, in some of the things that were going on around the area. And you, you remember when we, we came up with those little bracelets? Some of you still may have them. Um, it was, it had on it something like WWJD. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about? You still with me this morning? Yeah. WWJD, what would Jesus do? It, it was a, a great movement in so many ways. I, I tell you, it inspired me to go back and read Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps, which inspired that movement many, many, many years later. What would Jesus do? And I thought, man, that's a, that's a great question to ask. In all that I do, what would Jesus do? To, to think about that. But in the recent years, I've become a little more wary about that in that question. Some of you would look at me with some surprise and say, what? why would you be worried about asking, what would Jesus do? Because today, I'm afraid that a lot of us, we've dismissed the Jesus of scriptures. We've created our own Jesus. And thus, we've created what we think we ought to do based on what we thought Jesus was or what he ought to do. I think a better question today is, what did Jesus say to us? What has been said? And not just the red words of the New Testament. You understand this whole book could be red words. Because the whole book is Jesus' words to us. What did he say and what did he do? Not how are we going to construct a new Jesus to do what we want to do in our lives. What is the authority for us? How has he spoken already? And then to respond. You see, if this is the absolute truth, it is the authoritative truth for our lives, for our functions, our activities. Even if people disagree with us. I don't, I don't know if you saw this clearly, but in verse 23 of Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. He says, even th there will be days even the leadership will speak against me. It's like they've rejected the truth. But notice the psalmist says, I'm going to stay in your truth. I'm going to continue to meditate. I'm going to continue to consider. No matter what others say, seems like I'm always saying this to my children. Always something's going on with my children where, you know, something happens and what occurs, blame, the blame game. You, I know your children don't do that. Yours are more perfect. Mine were born in Baton Rouge. I'm still trying to get some stuff out of them right now. But they're always, you know, just... Oh, well, you know, so-and-so did it. So-and-so, they, they did this to me. They did that. And what do I always say to them? Your obedience is not based upon what they did. I'm expecting you to obey because of who you are and what you should do. And you know what God says to us? As we talk about the truth, as we see a culture that seems to be embracing more of this relativist uh, message, God is not saying to us, well, I'm going to excuse your disobedience or your lack of concern because everybody else is doing it. God doesn't say that. God says, 
I expect you to obey. I expect you to hold on to the truth. Not what everybody else is doing. Your obedience is not based on your neighbor. Your obedience is not based upon your leader. Your obedience is based on your relationship to me. It is the authority for your life in our lifestyles and our actions, even when it comes down to our salvation. Even when it comes down to our salvation. In verse 41 of Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. He had prayed in verse 17 that he might live, that he might experience God in life. There is an absolute truth. It is authoritative for our lives. It speaks to the actions of our lives, but it speaks also to the salvation for our lives. You see, today, there are those who are really saying we should not be evangelistic. We shouldn't be trying to persuade people to come to faith. We should just let people experience their own, um, their own God experience. We shouldn't be trying to really convert them over. It's strange because even in that message, there's a message of persuasion and conversion, right? But they say we shouldn't do that. But I say to you that it is only through the truth and the proclamation of the absolute truth of God that people can come to a saving knowledge of Christ. You see, this relativist message is actually enslaving people to their sins. But according to what we see in the book of John, when people come to truth, the truth shall set them free. And in our hearts and lives, those of us who are saved in this place, aren't we proud somebody was willing to speak the truth to us? Aren't we proud that today, that as we come to this place, that we can confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because we have heard the truth and the truth has been impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit of God and we have been changed. And no longer are we enslaved to our sins, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in our lives. And I say to you that if we've experienced that freedom, we should want others to experience that freedom and we should declare to them compassionately, boldly, that there is an absolute truth. There is a truth that there is a God in heaven. There is a truth that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a truth that God sent his one and only son on our behalf and that if you believe in him, exclusively in him, you trust in him, you will have salvation in your life. There is the truth. That once you become his child, you can never become somebody else's child. You are his for eternal life. And that one day he will bring us, his church, his people, to be with him in a place called heaven. That is a truth that I am not only willing to preach, but I am proud to preach. It is a truth that I hope that you will embrace in your life and that you will declare to the communities of Ruston and North Louisiana and beyond, even to the nations, 
that there is a truth. And it will set you free.